At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the chief population health officer at Baptist Health. Fans of actor Bruce Willis were shocked recently when his family announced that he was retiring from acting due to a condition called aphasia. Aphasia is an acquired condition that affects a person's ability to speak, write, and understand both verbal and written language. What do we know about aphasia, its causes, symptoms, and what can be done to help those who are affected by it? Two experts from the Baptist Health family joined me on an episode of the Resource Live program to shed some light on this debilitating condition. My guests were Dr. Felipe de los Rios, director of the stroke program at Miami Neuroscience Institute, and Denise Vargas, speech pathologist at Baptist Health. Let's hear what they had to say. So Felipe, let's kick it off with a question to you for this uh, important question, uh, important subject that recently um, became very prevalent regarding um, Bruce Willis's condition and how the press picked up on it. Uh, We're talking about aphasia, uh, which is a, a medical condition. We learned a little bit at the beginning of the discussion, but could you explain a little bit more what is aphasia and what causes it if you if you if you can? Yeah, sure. So aphasia by itself really is a, a neurologic symptom uh, of, of a disease. And the disease that drives the symptom, there's there's multiple, and you know, we'll go into more detail in a bit, but aphasia refers to any problem with, with language. So language is the main problem that you have when, when there is aphasia. And it could be any aspect of language. It could be understanding language. Um, so people that have aphasia and have problem understanding language would feel like you're speaking a different language. They don't understand what it is that you're saying. It could be expressing. So you, you're not able to express yourself appropriately like, like you should, like you've been doing before. Again, kind of like if it was a new language, you can't find words or you're making errors. When you're when you're speaking or making the sentences, um, and it usually affects both spe- spoken and written language. Um, and then, what drives that that problem with language, that aphasia? There's there's a whole myriad of conditions that can do it, but uh, we can we can uh, I think it's easier to understand if, if we say that aphasia is a for you to have neurologic injury in aphasia, it's the cortex, so it's the outer part of the brain that is involved with language that is injured. And anything that produces injury on that area will produce the language problem. One of the common things that can do that is stroke, for example. But there's other conditions that can do it that are within the neurodegenerative um, uh, realm. Uh, Even trauma, if you have a, a trauma or a TBI and it affects that area of the brain, then you would have problems with language as well. Um, and uh, again, I know we're going to get into some more detail regarding some of the components you mentioned, which I think will be very worthwhile for the viewers. Um, so Denise, if aphasia is a brain, a, a, an injury to a part of the brain that controls speech, and, and um, Felipe uh, uh, did mention an expressive aphasia, you can't, can't communicate, can't understand. What are the more common symptoms and signs that you see in, in both your yeah, your space as well as out in the community. Are, are there some forms of aphasia that are more frequent than others? 
Living with aphasia is commonly compared to being in a foreign country. So you don't speak the language. So it's very difficult to understand people, what they're saying, and to respond to questions, to even read signs. So the symptoms that we see do depend on the extent of the injury and also where exactly in the brain it affected. But um, the most common symptoms would be, for example, inability to follow a conversation, use correct or um, use incorrect or unrecognizable words, as well as unable to read and comprehend written language and difficulty even maybe writing your name and your address. Denise, does the individual know that they're unable to, if they come out and you're talking to someone and they start coming out with words that don't make sense, is the person aware that those words are inappropriate or not? Not, not always, but, but it, since it is a language deficit, they do know for the most part what is going on with them, yes. Um, Felipe, um, and I appreciate that, is, is aphasia always associated with a cognitive impairment? Can it happen in an isolation? Yeah, it can definitely happen in isolation as well. There's many causes for it. Um, but for example, with stroke specifically, um, stroke always happens very suddenly, right? So a person is fine and then all of a sudden there isn't. And when um, a stroke happens, it can injure a specific, very, very pinpoint areas of the brain. So you could potentially just have problems with understanding language uh, or just problems with expression, but you understand fine. So it can be very isolated and, and very, the damage can be very, very specific. Um, but there's other conditions that affect the brain in a more global way. And then you have other things that are affected as well and not just language. So for example, you can have this as part of a progressive neurologic degenerative conditions, for example, Alzheimer's, where you can have that in the context of a lot of severe short-term memory loss. Or you can have it in context of other forms of um, brain injury problems. Like, for example, you can have it as part of TBI and you can have problems with multitasking and paying attention. And then there's other things that go with it. Or frontotemporal dementia, which is an, another form of uh, a progressive neurologic condition where you can have behavioral problems and problems with executive functioning. So just planning ahead, managing tasks. Um, doing mathematical um, problem. I mean, it can all be together with language. So it can present in different ways. And for the first, you had another question before that regarding just, you know, word finding problems. Sometimes you're like, oh, I can't remember this and that. And I think, you know, we all have a little bit of that. And, and that is normal as long as it's not affecting your day-to-day -day functioning. And you can definitely notice it more, for example, if you're very anxious or you're sleep deprived or you're, you know, you have, you're multitasking. And I think, you know, some of that is, is expected and, and not to worry. Denise, um, so uh, again, you guys have both elaborated on aphasia, what it is, where it comes from and, and certain causes. As a speech pathologist, what, what, do you, what options do people have when they have aphasia? And maybe split that up into, let's say the two main causes, which might be a stroke and then might be a cognitive decline, or I'll leave it to you, which are, let's say, the two main mm -hmm. causes of aphasia that you deal with, and are they managed the same from a speech pathology standpoint? So treatment for aphasia should start early, and seeking out the services of a speech therapist is the most common approach. Um, as a speech therapist, my role is to evaluate the patients and determine exactly what their deficits are so that then we can develop goals that are functional for the patient, realistic, to address in the therapy sessions. 
Um, we aim, of course, to restore these deficits, which we mentioned in this case is more the verbal expression, the comprehension, the reading and the writing, but also if it's a cognitive patient to include those goals as well. A huge part is uh, educating them on strategies to assist um, in their everyday communication and also educating the family, which is helping them to communicate with their loved one that now has aphasia. Um, it is important for them to know that the individual is the same person inside and for the most part knows what's going on if it's a true aphasic patient. Um, we also develop home exercise programs so that the patient and the family can work at home because therapy, of course, isn't forever. And overall, the main goal is to improve the quality of life for the patient. So you bring up a great point, which is the family can be part of the, um, the treatment and acceptance of the patient with aphasia. Felipe, following up on that, um, what communications do you have regarding the family member's role and acceptance of a patient um, who might uh, develop aphasia? Yeah, I think what Denise mentioned is, is very important, and that's why partnering with um, speech-language pathologists and uh, uh, therapists is, is very important because it also goes to the quality of life um, of both the patient and the family. Um, so understanding what the barrier is and how to effectively communicate is very important. Uh, sometimes some people can recover uh, more and some others have a progressive disorder that will get worse no matter no matter what we do right so so the symptom can in intensity and severity and prognosis can vary but if the family understands what the problem is and and they can have a lot of patience on 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 the communication piece because it's much difficult much more difficult to communicate with someone who has aphasia if you're trying to do things fast and if you're throwing a lot of things at them at the same time right so if you keep it simple and you keep it at a, at a good pace and you take your time and you let them um, communicate the best way they can, um, usually that, that goes a long way of managing anxiety, frustrations, and, and people can, can enjoy, understand what it is, and then move forward from it. And for some patients, especially if there's, there's naming or reading, sometimes you can use even, and Denise can talk more about this, but you can sometimes use, use like, uh, templates where there's pictures of common things. So you don't necessarily have to try to come up with the word, but you can point to what mm -hmm. it is that you want. And then you can make communication um, flow uh, easier. Um, so there's different approaches and it really depends on what it is, what part of language is, is affected. And I, I've had patients that are able to, to sing. Like for example, they have a hard time talking but they can sing a lot better. And, and sometimes, you know, you can use tricks and things to, to circumvent the, the neurologic injury so that communication can flow better. I know, Denise, do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, if the residual deficits, you know, progress or, you know, are on for, for life, then we could take the option of using alternative means of communication, a device that can at least help them communicate their basic needs and wants. Um, Fortunately, smartphones now have so many tools, so many apps that Siri can become your best friend and do everything for you. So um, again, it depends also where the main language deficit is, reading, writing, what, whichever it is, um, then we shape the therapy towards that. So that is interesting with the development of technologies that can also support these patients with these conditions as well, as you mentioned. Um, so if someone's aphasic, and I, and I know this, I'm asking this to Denise first, 
Um, it depends on the cause of the aphasia to some degree. But what do you see um, the outcomes of the people you work with? Is it um, they don't get worse, which is in and of itself can be okay? Do people get better? Um, can people resume normal lives? Again, broad question. Give us some of your, your, your uh, experiences. So yes, people with aphasia can return to a normal life. Um, but again, it does depend on the severity of the aphasia and the diagnosis that caused the aphasia. If the deficits, if the residual deficits continue, then the strategies that they've learned with us are crucial. Um, and in regards to going back to work, for example, it depends on the type of work that they have. Does that person have to interact all day and communicate such as being a teacher? That would be difficult. However, a patient that works as a mail carrier that doesn't really interact so much with people and doesn't have to communicate, yes, that is a possibility. I had a patient that had a stroke and was completely nonverbal and was not able to recover that, but she went back to living alone, driving with strategies um, and accommodations. So Sadly, partic- so, go ahead. I'm saying that particular case, the person cognitively was intact, Correct. lost the ability to communicate, but was still able to return Correct. to a normal, uh, uh, go back to work and have a yeah, good quality of life. I would add to that, that stroke in particular, that is one of the leading causes of, of aphasia, um, generally does improve. And, and most of the improvement happens during the first six months to a year, depends on the severity. But the rule is that people get better, um, right. as opposed to a progressive neurologic degenerative condition, such as frontotemporal dementia, primary progressive aphasia, or even if it's associated with Alzheimer's, then those tend to rather get worse as time goes by. So um, I by stroke, neurodegenerative conditions, Trauma, obviously, uh, is in and of itself not something very predictable. But do you see um, aphasia or the neurological conditions that can cause aphasia more prevalent in any groups? Uh, Is there a genetic component for some of these? Uh, Are there any patterns that we see in populations? There can be, but thankfully, the vast majority of them are not inherited conditions. Um, so, but there is a small group of them and there are some genes that have been identified. So it, it can follow different inheritance patterns. Um, so if there are multiple family members that, that have or develop language problems later in life, there, it might be useful to screen for some of those genetic conditions. But the vast majority, no, there is no family history of this for most. And for stroke in particular, the, the people that would be at higher risk for that are those that have uncontrolled um, cardiovascular risk factors. So that one of them is, is uh, well, we divide them in modified, mindful and non-modified. And you, Jonathan, are, are you know, are, are, you, can, you can actually tell us uh, all the details about this, but, you know, older, um, it's a non-modifiable, but then if you have uncontrolled diabetes, uncontrolled blood pressure, hyperlipidemia, uh, if you smoke, drink large quantities of alcohol, don't do exercise. I mean, that group would be at higher risk for stroke, cardiovascular disease, and therefore aphasia. So it's a well-said point. We're talking about aphasia, which is a symptom, the result of another circumstance, which is the stroke. And what are the risk factors for stroke, or as you elucidated, and we've certainly gone through in other, in other Facebook Live uh, <laughs> sessions as well. Um, <clears throat> Denise, um, do you see people who fully recover? Do you do work with people and they really have a full recovery or generally for the conditions we discussed as well, it's more adapting to live with aphasia? It is possible for them to recover. I think if not, I wouldn't be doing this, but many patients um, will have some residual deficits, like I've mentioned. 
Um, but they can get to the point that they are functional in their communication with strategies. Um, in rehab, we focus here on helping them live successfully and helping them to return to participate in all or most of their activities as close to independent as possible. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a couple of quick questions, um, some of them coming from the audience. Um, and again, uh, feel free to take it the way you wish. Um, Felipe, um, have we seen in any increase or is there a correlation with aphasia over the last two years specifically related to either COVID or the COVID vaccine? Not so much with the COVID vaccine, but COVID can increase the risk of, of stroke. Um, thankfully, the, the increased risk is, is small. So most of the case, uh, larger um, studies have shown that stroke can be associated with COVID-19 in about between 1% and 4% uh, of, of the cases that, that are diagnosed and, and followed. So there's a lot of mild cases that you know we never necessarily diagnose because they don't have symptoms or so. So it's probably even lower than that. Um, but any infection can increase, not only COVID-19, other respiratory infections, even urinary tract infections can increase the risk of stroke and cardiovascular disease slightly within the next even six months or so from the infection. So there is some association there. Thankfully, it's not, um, it's not, it's not a super frequent occurrence, um, but not so much with that vaccine, no. Um, and, and for Felipe as well, just like physical activity, physical exercise can decrease the risk of, of stroke and cardiovascular type of components um, and exercise decreases, obviously aphasia if it's stroke related because you're not having a stroke. What about mental exercises, crossword puzzles, things like that? Is there any truth that reading and, and keeping the mind active will decrease the chances of a cognitive decline? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one way of, of looking at this is what we call cognitive reserve. So, um, and you can imagine, I mean, it makes intuitive uh, uh, sense. If, if you get symptoms as you lose brain tissue, brain function from, from whatever process it may be, stroke, aging, um, genetics, and, 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 and uh, degenerative neurologic conditions, you, you get symptoms because you're losing neurons and, and, and brain reserve. But if you have more brain reserve, then you have a higher... Um, a, a margin, a higher margin where you can lose some brain cells, but you're still able to function well because you have a higher cognitive reserve. So um, you can get higher cognitive reserve by, we know uh, more studies, higher level of education, uh, being cognitively active. Um, all of that keeps your cognitive reserve higher and you're able to tolerate better um, a brain injury. Um, so yes, I would say there, there is, there is truth to that. Um, Denise, a question for you, if you're comfortable answering, and I'm going to ask Dr. Uh, I'm going to ask Felipe as well, uh, any diet specific components of diet that can aid in uh, avoiding aphasia, avoiding conditions for aphasia and treating aphasia. And to that end, any supplements that have been shown to have any, uh, a benefit in, uh, uh, people with components of aphasia. That I'm not aware of. I would refer to Dr. Okay. <laughs> not part of Not part of what you, what you use in speech therapy, sir. Felipe, no specific supplement, um, uh, but eating well goes a long way. I mean, you're going to absorb nutrients and, and vitamins and everything a lot better when you eat well, because it's, there's other cofactors that are in the food that allow you to absorb um, um, the nutrients better than just taking a vitamin. So 
Uh, I would never recommend replacing a good balanced diet by just taking a multivitamin, which, you know, some people kind of prefer that. So I'm taking a multivitamin, I'm safe. Um, you know, that, that doesn't really work that way. Um, but there are some diets that have been associated with lower risk of cardiovascular disease. So there's the, the DASH diet uh, from the American Heart Association. And Jonathan, um, I would, you know, give this back to you as well as an expert yeah. on this. So I want to hear your thoughts. But uh, DASH diet, the Mediterranean style diet um, um, can help as well. Low fats, low sweets, more fruits and veggies. But what, what do you think, Jennifer? I mean, if you really look at the confluence of all the diets that are purported to have cardiovascular benefit, I think the reality is avoid processed foods and refined foods and specifically simple sugars and starches. And everything else becomes in the background. But um, if you avoid things that have a lot of artificial components in them, and then the simple sugars and starches, which can create an inflammatory state, you're probably going to be good to go. Um, and all the diets out there, Mediterranean Dash, even keto, they're just different manipulations of, of that message. And the reason is they do decrease the inflammation in your blood vessels and the inflammation in your body, thus decreasing your risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, and heart attack. So uh, appreciate that opening there, uh, Felipe. Um, last question, and I'll ask both of you and then give you a chance to add to either reiterate or add anything we missed. And it's a tough question. And it's, um, it's to, if you're speaking to an audience who's healthy, how, when we have a moment where you forget where you put your keys, or you can't remember a word or a name that you know you should have, how do we advise to differentiate between a normal thing that happens, again, maybe stressed, maybe the, the brain's filled, versus something that might be a sign of getting a checkup? So when would you advise someone seek uh, an evaluation by a primary care doctor or a neurologist? Is, 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 um, I'll say, is that a fair question? Um, but how would you address that? And I'll start with, uh, again, Felipe. I think it's a very fair question. The first thing that I would say is listen to your family members and friends, because the vast majority that, that I think of people who, who truly have an underlying condition, um, when you see them in the office is, doc, I have, I have nothing. I am fine. You know, it's my relative. It's my wife, my friend, or who's, who, who, who thinks I'm crazy, but I'm fine. I would I would pay attention because you know that I, I would say that is that those are the ones that we worry about the most, um, and part of that is you you lack the insight, right? So the disease process itself might make it hard for you to realize that you actually do have a problem. Um, but I would say pay attention to your friends and family as to what it is that they are they are noticing. Don't don't disregard that. Um, and then do take if you are having a lot of issues with with word finding with memory pieces. I do think it's worth you know, having a checkup or thinking about it. Many times it is that you might not be sleeping enough. You might, you, you know, your sleep pattern might be off. Um, you might have too much on your plate. It might be stress, it might be anxiety, but all of those things you know, are, there could be managed, could be improved. It could improve your quality of life. Um, so if it's, if it's bothering your day-to-day, -day, if it's affecting you on your day-to-day -day functioning, I think it's worth taking a look at. Um, if it's just the occasional word that you forget here and there and so forth, but it doesn't really affect you on your day-to-day, -day, I, I don't think that that necessarily needs a, a, a visit. And there's nothing wrong with keeping up on your regular checkups with primary Absolutely. care doctor uh, anyway. And Denise, and answer that and, and, and answer it as you, as you see fit. 
but also with a little spin on, you know, do you see patients who don't think they have a problem, but you know, the family members, I mean, but you know, they do, in other words, there a denial component? Yes, absolutely. And sometimes we have to challenge them and let them make the mistakes so that they see, oh, okay, maybe I do need this therapy. And the family, like we said before, is huge component in the therapy process. Any final um, uh, messages or anything you want to uh, bring up that we didn't bring up? I'll start with uh, Denise. Yeah, just to say, you know, the process is, it takes time if a patient is having aphasia due, for example, to a stroke, but with appropriate care from the physicians, from the rehab team, and of course the family, we could see, and we have seen here in Baptist, amazing results. So it takes patience. And, you know, the number one question patients ask is, when am I going to get better? When am I going to go back to doing everything I used to? And we always say every patient is different, but it takes time. So we don't know much about the Bruce Willis experience other than it being a catalyst for discussion. But clearly, if you are an indiv- as an individual or a family member of yours, we treat every case individually and customize the approach. Absolutely. Felipe, any similar final thoughts or anything? I would just say um, be aware that this is a, a symptom of an underlying disease. Be patient, be kind when you encounter people you know, anywhere in your life as you go that has problems with, with language, you know, don't, sometimes we tend to want to do everything fast and react and, you know, but be, you know, be under, understand that there's people that have this, this as a symptom of an underlying disease and be patient, be patient. If you have a comment or a suggestion for future topics, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.